Ahoy, fellow sport jockeys. And welcome aboard the Joy of Trek, a multilingual podcast exploring the stellar spheres and data storms of Star Trek. All, All of it. it. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And down here in the lab is your chief engineer, Greg. Together, we're on a mission through the dark matter nebulous of Star Trek to find the ancient knowledge in every unknown entity and the good in every episode. Even the mutants. I wonder if I may have should have updated the script now I think about it. Please continue. Whoops. <laughs> because every episode must be someone's favorite and it might as well be us. So turn on your translators and join us as we microfracture our way through the, the joy, joy of, of Trek. Trek. I really have to do a better job updating these scripts. <laughs> I think there's a little bit left over from last time. I'm so oh, excited. Right, yes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the joy of Trek. It's lovely to hear from you again. It's, no, that's not how it works, is it? No. It's lovely to hear from us again. Oh, yes. We, we think it's lovely that you're here to listen to us again. Let's <laughs> so, go with that one. So natural. <laughs> okay. Hey, but we've been getting better at this script with uh, updates notwithstanding, because now, look, we're going to talk about uh, an episode of Star Trek Discovery this yeah. time around. And this is, this is my little pick. Ah. Yeah. Not recommended by a reader, but you suggested that for our first spread of episodes, we take some samples from, like, as many different series as there are. Right, yes. Show the full breadth of, of Star Trek. And so I started thinking about some of the newer stuff, which I'm really into. And I have picked from Star Trek Discovery, Season 2, Episode 4, An Obol for Karen. Yeah. Written by Jordan Nardino and Gretchen De Berg and Aaron Herbert. Terror play by Alan McElroy and Andrew Colville. Wow, there's a lot of credits there. First aired on February 7th, 2019 and elected by Lee Rose. In which, get this. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready? Yeah. The USS Discovery gets an unexpected pit stop when a big old ball puts out a cosmic stop sign, causing the Universal Translator to throw a tantrum, turning the bridge into a chaotic United Nations of alien languages. Yeah. Saru, a Kelpian commander with some really standout ganglia, fears he's clocking out for good and starts spilling salty tea. Young Tilly's personal space is invaded by a pesky blob-like alien squatter with an eerie talent for impersonation. Crotchety engineer Stamets and Reno team up like the f***ing Ghostbusters to give her a mind meld minus the Vulcan touch. Oh... How'd you like it? Yeah, it's very good. Yeah? Yes. This was a, a pretty, like, unifying episode where Star Trek Discovery was originally a divisive series. Yes. Dividing the Star Trek fandom into those who like new things like myself and those whose hearts are black like molten tar who can't find the joy in anything. No, I'm being unkind, of course, but there was a lot of discourse about, oh no, Alex Kurtzman is ruining Star Trek. They're ruining my childhood uh-huh. on the more extreme side of things. On the, like, I less... I mean, ex- this is Discovery in general. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right, yes. Not this particular episode. No, this this was actually more of a, a, a rapprochement, because a lot of people who didn't like Discovery, and hey, it's fine not to like things, yeah, right? Some things are not for you. Television Either because has. they're intentionally not for you, or because they just had something else in mind. And yeah, like- exactly. So I'm not painting with a broad brush. Everybody who dislikes Discovery is one of those moon-faced assassins of joy. <laughs> No, but uh, this brought a lot of people back together. There was a lot of accommodation for Star Trek canon okay. that had upset a lot of people because Discovery was set before the original series, yeah. but had more advanced technology, much like Star Trek Enterprise in the day. Yes. Just a question, like just to set my something straight. What's the continuity between Discovery and Strange New Worlds? Oh, Strange New Worlds take place after. But it is actually... Oh, wow, yes. You hadn't seen season two of Discovery, had you? I have not, no. I've only seen season one of Discovery. Oh, my God. Season two is where the Discovery gains a new captain in the form of Captain Pike of the USS Enterprise. Right. Which is now in Space Dock. Yeah. And so they go through some adventures, and then he gets his own spin-off show. Because he was super popular, because you can see how amazing his hair is. 
Okay, so... And then Strange New Worlds take place after season two of Discovery. That's all I'll right. say about it. But hang on, this is Captain... I forgot his Captain name. Captain Pike. This is Pike, right. Yes. It's also the same actor. Yeah, yeah. Right. With and the great hair. Yeah. Just not as grey as in Strange okay, New no, Worlds. Okay, so that just I'm sending it straight. Because I, I noticed it when the, when the first officer walked on deck, and I go like, hang on, she looks a awful lot like the first officer from Strange New Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> and then amazing. I said, look, actually, he looks like him as well. But this is Pike. Oh, is it the same too? Or is it... I know it's like, it's another Pike, so they might have just picked someone who, an actor who looks like him. But it oh, is wow. actually... No, it is actually... Okay, thank you. No wonder you were so confused and quiet in the beginning. Oh, well, I was just like wondering about that. But yes, okay, so it is actually... Same universe, same continuity. Yep. yep okay, yep. cool. Thank you. That's, uh, Which in turn takes place before the original series. Right, still. But so this brought a lot of like critics who had been hating on, uh, on Star Trek Discovery for being so, I guess, modern in a lot of ways. Right. Back on board because, yeah, there was a, there was a lot yes, of concession no, it has to, be, to... It has to be plywood consoles and Lincoln Lichten <laughs> and yeah. uh, holographics things because we didn't have those in the original series. So anything that happens before the original series can't have that either. Exactly. Some of which was quite cleverly dealt with through dialogue and some of it was brought back. I'm going to be pointing some of those out as we (laughs) we go along. Excellent. Also, it's so episodic. Despite having a lot of ties to the grander arc of this season... Oh, this particular episode? Yeah. Yes. Because what kind of felt like the B-plot in this one, which is what's going on in engineering, is actually more closer to the main plot in uh, the overarching series. Yes. And then there's also like the... And the hunt for Spock, which is just almost a side thought in this entire episode. But it's a through line of the season, which is sort of the clever thing that I really appreciate about Discovery. There's a breathlessness to it, mm-hmm. right? There's a tempo and an urgency to every episode that leads into the next one that not everyone appreciates, but I really yeah. do. And other than that, like, yeah, the ship gets stopped by an alien creature. Could it be any episode from the next generation or from the original series? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, it's a very recognizable, and the resolution is about understanding, not fighting. Yeah. No, this was appreciated by a lot of the reviewers. I've, I've read a few of them. I've got a few summaries from extracts from a few reviews. Entertainment Weekly says, An Oboe for Karen is a very bad episode of television, so not off to a great start yeah. there. Vulture ha- says it's a successful procedural episode of this evolving hyperactive dork show. Okay. <laughs> which, which I'm into. Oh, Sci-Fi Wire. Uh, I'm still not ready to talk about Saru, but here it is. I hope Discovery submits this episode for a supporting actor Emmy for Doug Jones, who plays Saru. Ah, yes. Amazing performance through layers and layers of latex. Oh, absolutely. And here's one from Trekcore that I really liked. For a franchise with nearly 800 hours of television and movies under its belt, it's impressive that the writers were able to come up with a completely original crisis, and doubly so considering it involved a piece of technology that's been part of Star Trek for over 50 years. Wait, which part of the translator malfunction oh, right. as, a, yes, yes. as a huge sort of peril, which I love. I really love it because this episode it encapsulates everything that I adore about modern Star Trek. We've got high concepts, high stakes, high energy. We've got smart people working hard to solve problems. Yes, I've written this down because I wanted to get my excitement <laughs> out. And to do the right thing. We've got three A-plots jostled against each other, and yet none of them feel rushed, diminished, or tacked on. And this episode contains my absolute favorite scene in all of Star Trek ever, which is the translated malfunction. malfunction. yes. All right, shall we dive into the episode? Yeah, let's go. Make it so. Engage. Oh, I like all those. Um, what is, what's your thing going to be? 
Like, oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So this is forget about the episode. We're going to talk about this first because I've got mine figured out. Okay. Like if I'm ever in the captain's chair and everyone's looking to okay, how's it going to is going to be engage? Is going to be go like Captain yeah. Lorca or uh, hit it uh, like Pike? What's yours? Oh God! Now you're putting me on the spot. You mean you haven't thought about this? No, for I haven't. Your entire life. Okay. Absolutely. Do you want to hear mine? Yeah. Bring it. Proceed. Very good. As you were, because everyone is, they know their jobs, they just need to go and do it. And also there's a constant of movement, you know, we're yeah. going to proceed to our destination. Step on it. No, that's like, that seems more like a, a directive to, like he says, don't spare Breaker. the horses. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, Actually, that could be fun. If you're a fun captain. Yeah, let her roll. Let her rip. Yeah, so let her roll. <laughs> let her, okay. <laughs> I don't know, I have to think about that. Maybe next time I can come oh. up with something good. Our chief engineer, hi, are you there? Are you listening? <laughs> Greg once told me what his was going to be. Can you hit us with that? Yes, chef. Yes, chef? <laughs> I know. It <laughs> doesn't sound like an order, but yeah. I know, but I've never wanted to question him because then I'll feel like I'll ruin something precious. Sure. Look, we start off with <laughs> a huge previously on segment. Right, that yes. Set which, up was very, which was very helpful. Previously on Star Trek Discovery. With the Enterprise and Space Dock, Captain Pike and Discovery's mission to find any rational explanation for the Seven Signals continues to escape me, and with it, perhaps any chance of a relationship with my brother Spock. I made sure that when I built up our little library that I made sure that especially like the newer yeah, yeah. serialized tracks had these previously on. So yeah, it's like, like the troubled between her and Spock, whom they are chasing, and then there's a little bit of Sp Spock psychology. Spock's mother, actually Michael and Spock's mother. Yes, the, the Red the Angel... Yes, the, another key through line for season two. I was also thinking there was like there was some red matter stuff going on, but that's actually just uh, Tilly getting uh, bombed by the alien spore creature. So what we're actually looking at here is like a probably unrelated event. They found an exotic matter asteroid yes. that Tilly wanted to mine in order to find some substitute for Stamets, who personally has to operate the spore drive because it's yes. got DNA infusion. And in that process, she got whacked with some kind of zany energy. Yeah. And that activated this hallucination that she's been having. But now that we know it's a spore creature from the mycelial network, it's actually called... We should have seen a shot from like the very end of Discovery Season 1 where there's a massive event in the spore chamber and one of those spores lands on her shoulder and seems to melt away. And I think I've seen that, yes. Right? It gets a bit of a close-up that nothing gets done. So we suspect that's when the spore creature known as May actually became part of her. Yeah. But it took this jolt to enable... And yoink it out of her, is what happens, and it becomes a blob. Yep. Uh, this is where we get the transporter scene, which I noticed like a really smooth transporter animation. Oh. That, like, that looks really nice. And, that's, and this so one, gorgeous. like, hang on, isn't that the same number one as from Strange New Worlds? And yes, indeed it is. Not so quite the same uniform. No. It's got that lovely But uh, that was like yellow. more looking at the way she looks and talks and the way they interact. It seems very yeah. familiar from Strange New Worlds. Captain. Welcome aboard Discovery, number one. Coming in to give a report on the situation and then Dee Dee back out again. We don't see her at all again. She gets immediately sent back. Next time. Be careful, Captain. You too, number one. Yeah, there there are some interesting like entrances and exits here. Because <laughs> he arrives, walks her to the mess hall where she has, bless her, a cheeseburger and fries and habanero sauce. Mm -hmm. You want to order some lighter fluid with that? That goes with the shake. Which she enjoys with great relish, but he can't stick around. So she gives him some 
ill-gotten information because she circumvented Starfleet she protocol. She got Spock's medical file or psychological evaluation or something. His case file, because right. Amanda's mother had already stolen the medical oh, file. Oh, yes, that was it. Yeah. Because it's been classified level one, which is unusual for mm. uh, Starfleet. And they're really not supposed to look into that, but she's done so anyway, and yeah. Plausible deniability, don't ask me about that. If you don't ask, then I won't have to tell you, and then you yeah, don't exactly. know. You can honestly say that you don't know. He does take it in the end. He says, Before I look at that, I need to know why you saw fit to detour Federation protocols. Something about this investigation isn't adding up. What's it called? When you make yourself culpable for something. When you make yourself an accomplice, yes. Yes, yes. yes. He's accessorizing himself. He's bejazzling himself (laughs) in that way, one might say. (laughs) Wow. Accessory after the fact, I believe the term is. Oh, yes. Very good. (laughs) And then he says, Late for a briefing. And they depart. Yeah. We have a fun little scene in in engineering. Yes. Blobby is uh, in the containment box. And Stamets is so excited. I hadn't noticed before the first time I watched, but I'm getting massive Alan Tudyk vibes from him. Oh, I get that. We don't see a lot of, like, hardcore blonde men on television no, these true. days. No, true. I mean, there's a certain physical similarity, but also just, yeah, his the way he's acting and the way he's talking. I got a lot of Alan Tudyk from that. Nice. It's, uh, I mean, that's a fine thing. Uh, uh, Alan Rapp, or <laughs> Anthony Rapp. Yeah. Not the bastard love child of Alan Tudyk <laughs> and, and, and Anthony Rapp. We talked about... There's an after show for Star Trek called The Ready Room. Mm-hmm. And for this one, it was an interview with, with Anthony Rapp. And the interviewer asked him a very good question. Like, when you get recognized in public, is it for Star Trek or for Broadway? Because oh. he's a, a very famous musical actor. He performed in Rent for, oh, uh, for many years. Yeah, nice. he's tremendous. And an activist for LGBTQ rights oh, and well. uh, visibility. Actually... So is Mary Wiseman, who plays Tilly, and so is... Reno? Yes, uh, whose name? name is Tig Notaro. Okay. So we have three people in the scene, and they're all... Oh, my God. Wonderful. Star Trek is going woke. <laughs> they are super woke. <laughs> no, since when has Star Trek been dealing with social commentary? 1966, says Chidi Anagonye. I know. From, <laughs> from The Good Place. But so Stamets is really excited to learn that there is life inside this mycelial network. Because yes. for those of you who aren't familiar, the Discovery is a, was a prototype spaceship based on Stamets's observation of a fungus-like species called mm-hmm. Prototaxites stelaviatore, whose tendrils, the mycelia, they don't just burrow through the ground. like They burrow through space. Subspace, and it's possible to travel along this network at stupendous speeds. Ludicrous speed. <laughs> Which Discovery is uniquely able to do because he can serve as its navigational system. Navigation is right. a big problem. But he's the only one who can do that. And uh, yeah, they've got these like spore canisters that they push into the thing and then that fills up the room with spores. Yep. And then he commutes with the network and travels Gets them where through. they need yep. to go in a really gorgeous effect. But what's really interesting, like he's enthusing. I know it looks like a blob, but this is one of the most sophisticated life forms I've ever encountered. It has sentience, intention. Tilly, the mycelial network doesn't just connect life. It contains it. It's an incubator. But Tilly's perspective is immediately quite different. He calls it an incubator. She calls it a home. Mm. Like, he has a, a, a very different, like, scientific enthusiasm. She comes from a much more empathetic place. But she's already infected at this point as well with... But it's been removed from her uh, at yeah. this point, right? Yeah, it yeah. starts off. It's already been removed. They're observing it. Yeah. because And they're talking about this, and she's, like, reminiscing about how she feels bad about 
how she treated the girl that the uh, sport creature was mimicking. Yes, uh, May Ahern. And as she's standing there leaning against the glass, this tentacle pod comes <laughs> up and it's the glass thing on the other side. It's like, okay, we cut to which the is inter- Which is an oh. interesting cut to uh, to the scene between Spock and... Uh, oh, and Kirk. Uh, and Kirk in the... When in he, the warp when, chamber, when, exactly. yes. <laughs> oh, wow, yes. Reaching out, trying to be understood. Ooh, nice one. We cut to the briefing that Captain Pike was late for, and everybody's just, like, all the senior staff are just hanging out and chatting while yeah. they're waiting for their captain a to start the briefing. A little bit of a pre-meeting chatter, yes. Uh, Saru is not having a great time. Saru is absolutely miserable. He's, like, salting his tea or whatever it is that he's doing. and He likes salt in his tea. Oh, uh, yes. He's from a planet where, or at least, like, his people that we've seen him interact with, they farm kelp. So salt must be a... A very normal part of their diet, a very guess, enjoyable yeah. flavor. Yeah. We've got Linus, the Saurian, who commiserates. I had a cold last week, which sucked. Yeah. <laughs> six nasal cavities. It's like, uh, <laughs> does it make a difference if half? It's, does that make it worse or better? What are the odds that all of them are going to be blocked up at the same time? I love his eyes, by the way. There's like oh, isn't he gorgeous? The, 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 the vertical uh, blinking yeah, that the he extra, does. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And it's got this just lovely physicality around him. Yes, a lot of people had very special feelings about Linus when he was introduced. <laughs> <laughs> They're being a little bit snippy with each other, but... Yeah, I guess this is just pre-meeting uh, uh, yeah. banter. Oh, there's a woman introducing herself. She's Commander Nan of the USS Enterprise. Commander Nan, USS Enterprise. Glad to be here. We don't really see her anymore after this either, do we? She, she walks, or does she get dismissed and go back to... Uh, no, she's on the bridge. She's the one oh, she is. speaking very pointed Italian. As we, oh no, oh, yeah. I'm not going to give you any spoilers because I've got a little, I've got a little game plan for you. Okay, UK. it's going to be absolutely disastrous. But they finally are joined by their captain, who immediately dismisses them to the yeah. their station. <laughs> like, like, okay, everybody, get to work. We're going. What, what the f- kind of briefing is this? Yeah, I'm late for a briefing, and you walk in. Okay, everyone to your stations. Demers set a course for 108 Mark IV, maximum warp. Aye, sir. What was this for? <laughs> Nobody's being briefed by anything. Oh, it was very brief. <laughs> ah, briefing, yes. Yeah, okay, well. Saru gets sent to his quarters because he needs to, like, chill out a bit, and then he and Burnham go have a little chat. About Spock. And yes. it's particularly like she wants to recuse herself from further contact with yes, Spock. Yes, because she's been having a bad relationship with her brother. And the captain says that he does trust her, but the mission comes first, which means he's going to need her. Facing whatever happens, Spock, it's not going to be easy for any of us. Reaching him has to be the priority. The conversation is cut short by Red Alert. What else? Yes, we get... Well, no, the Red Alert comes later, but it, it Oh, no, gets, you're right. You're yeah, right. It, it gets jumped out by, like, what's going on? Detmer status. Something has grabbed us out of warp, sir. Speed dropping to sublight. Helm going unresponsive. Only then he goes, Red Alert sheets up. Which apparently is not standard procedure when you get randomly dropped out of warp by something. I guess it requires either a captain's order or maybe like within five minutes or... I'm pretty sure that whoever's in command on the bridge should be able to give that order because... But that's how it goes, I think. But the captain is in his ready room. So he's essentially on the bridge still. he's He's right next to it, yeah. Or at least I think so. No, actually, I don't know that it's necessarily attached. Interesting. Okay, so Captain Lorca, who was the original captain of the Discovery in season yeah. one, had a very austere and small ready room with a, with a standing desk. Yeah. This is a much larger room that he's got. It's got a seating area. It's got a nice uh, communal yeah. desk and a table. And it's got a rear-facing window. It must be still quite close, though. I mean, it's kind of like the Next Generation's Enterprise. Yeah, on the... The big D. You've got the... On one side, you've got the, the briefing room. 
which is right. one with the table, yes. where, which is another, and the captain's uh, ready room is on the other diagonally on the other side of the bridge. Must be a similar layout. Front, yeah. yeah. Just want to point out here that the Voyager also has that same design. So it really is just the standard Starfleet way of organizing your bridge. Ready room on one side, briefing room on the other. I like how cool and calm he is about calling for red alert. Right. Like it's precautionary, nobody panic, but we're now at high readiness. Helm going unresponsive. Shields up, red alert. But the shields up doesn't work because there's something which is preliminary analysis indicates a multiphasic stasis field which is directing the shield harmonics. Nice! That's when reading it from the Chiefs. Nice! They're good though, <laughs> They are huh? very good, they are very good, yes. Uh, like a damn fly in a web. And, and here comes the spider. A big, giant, glowing red ball. Of, yes, glowing red gas. Ominous. Which turns out to be both organic and non-organic mixed in. Yeah. Which is what we learned. Very, it's 565 kilometers in diameter. Uh, and it weighs and a, something. Uh, a mass of 6.39 times 10 to the 20th power kilograms. I always, I like this scientific terminology. That is a great way to write it down. But it really doesn't help you like imagine what it, how much it actually is. No, but also the 6.39 conveys information that is nowhere near as important as the, the 20th the power. power. Yes. <laughs> Whatever comes after the decimal, however much that is, if it was the 21st power, it wouldn't matter. Not just sitting there waiting for the final reveal. Which power of 10 are we yes. talking about? It's a large boulder the size of a small boulder. Organic. Are you saying it's some kind of a life form? Maybe it is a damn spider. I hate spiders. Oh, good lines. Okay, I'm loving these chiefs as well, because Burnham says that... It is premature to assign any anthropomorphic distinction or intent. Because she's a xenoanthropologist. Yes. She's very cautious about, okay, we have human concepts and biped emotions, but not everything has those, and so you shouldn't formulate a motivation. Yeah, shouldn't jump to conclusions. But we see that Captain Pike is concerned, and he considers it a threat. It's a threatening yes. behavior. And he boils it down to it, communicate with it or disable it. I'm not saying that you should start with shooting. I'm giving you the option of communication, but you better make it work. I'm going to make Greg's life a little easier and drop in a clip here. Well, it has my ship. I don't know what in the hell it wants. Communicate with it or disable it. Oh, there you Quickly, go. Cover up, we shoot both the Now, what did she just say? <laughs> Oh, I, I can look at the subtitles. But yeah, there you go. Yes, I understand the stakes, is what she says. And which language was she speaking? Hello, we've got a game. Which is which language are people speaking? Well, okay? it gets given away because immediately he's, uh, Pike says, Pourquoi parlez-vous Klingon? Like, yeah. Pourquoi parlez-vous Klingon? <laughs> Why are you speaking Klingon? Yes. Which is the language? What? In French? Yes. Oh, sorry. Good. Yeah, no, yes. He, yeah, he no, says in so French... two for two. He well says, done. Oh, oh, right. In French, he says, it like, why do you speak Klingon? Yes. Now, here, I've got something really fun for you. Because okay. when, when this came out, Discovery was still streaming on uh, uh, Netflix. And Netflix has multiple language tracks. And I spent quite a lot of time... Ah, uh, yeah, seeing what they do in the French version. Because how do they translate the French in the French version? Well, let's find out. Why are you speaking Klingon? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you speaking Klingon? Isn't that great? <laughs> it's like it's English but a French accent. <laughs> My favorite one is actually the German, where they leave that the same, but the Klingon gets done by the German voice actress. Okay. Oh, and the and yeah. the German voice actor I mean, for Pike yeah, in, uh, in French. Yeah, that makes sense. They dubbed that. Yeah. 
Oh, I think it's so cool. Okay, we keep going. Are you into this game, Kate? Sure. If yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, bring, so you've got, bring, you've got bring, a lot of points yeah, by yeah, now. Bring, All right, is there anything there that you recognize? I hear Norwegian, more German. Really? Where did you hear Norwegian? Oh, I thought I was like, I mean... You're right. Yeah. You're right. You can ikke forstår no som Afrikaans. Afrikaans, I guess. No, that was the, the, the Norwegian one. Oh, okay. Ho detto che sto inviando più energia. Italian? Very good. Yeah. That's what uh, Oshikon says. Let me see. Okay, this one you can't get. Detmer says, I can't read my console. Is this Arabic? And don't death pednog Arabic kayen, but that's actually Andorian, a made-up language. So. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but you got Italian, you got Norwegian. You do, you're doing great. At the very end, we've got Tote di Alarma. Was ist passiert? German. Very good. Yeah. Kill those alarms. Tell me what happened. It, it might have been Schalter den Alarm ab. Yeah. Uh, not entirely sure. <laughs> this is kind of funny. I'm, I'm sure they had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. Yeah. All these actors, like they really, st- Pike in particular, because he does expressions with uh, with what he's saying at the right moment as well. Oh yes. So what did they do in the German dub? Haha. Let's find okay, out. Okay. Yes. French. Very good. Qu'est-ce qu'il se passe? Was passiert? What's happened here? All right. Next up. Italian. Yep. And then English, wasn't it? It's Welsh. Welsh. Oh, okay. Uh, Margiono. I'm not going to be able to pronounce that, but the yeah. sphere answered our hails, and then this happened, and he sort of gestures. Okay, yeah. Wisely realizing, okay, we can't communicate. We're trying. It's not... <clears throat> yeah, nothing. It's not helping. Moving on. Taking inspiration from Bryce. Okay, there are things that we can do that are not going to get translated. Had jemand eine Idee? Oh, I didn't... I, uh, I, now that you're saying it sounds German again. Yep. But, uh, Does yeah. anybody have any yeah, ideas? Yeah. And Burnham's idea is to just do shipwide Saru. Yeah. Nothing else. I just... need to get Saru over here because we know that he speaks loads of languages. <laughs> yes. Let me see how the German dub did. I've got a clip of that. Yeah, I didn't fully catch it myself no. either. Oh, and I've also got... This was the only other language that uh, Netflix offered, which was uh, Indonesian. Oh, actually, that's the, the fourth. Yeah, German, French, European, Spanish, and Indonesian. Mm-hmm. And this is the only line by any of the Indonesian voice actors okay. that was different. Saru. That's it. Still. Saru. Saru. Yeah, yeah okay. Just saying it in her, yeah. in her own voice. <laughs> okay, you're doing really well, Kay. Well, thank you. Okay, so I don't know what the first one is. It sounds like Italian again. Like we go, then it goes into Mandarin. Mandarin, very yeah. good. That's what Burnham speaks and Saru responds. Yeah. Pikes, I didn't get. I had to do a lot of research before I actually found these clips. It's Hebrew. Hebrew, okay. Uh, and he's saying, welcome to the Tower of Babel. Yeah, appropriate. <laughs> and Burnham says, you know, more language than anyone on the ship. And Saru says, yes, 94. So, yes. And I'm like, the universal translator is malfunctioning. Yes. Why don't we just turn it off? Probably the first thing they tried. Yeah. But... They tried to turn <laughs> on the shields. They tried to turn... You know, this. <laughs> I mean, it's like... 
But it's also like it shows the power of this device, right? right. This is actually like why is this never been used but offensively? Even over, so, but it's even overriding. Yes. Yes. People who speak each other's language are now unable to hear because their their voices are being like replaced, yeah. overridden by something else. Yeah. It's like it goes really into weird mechanics that are always kind of hand-waved, I suppose. Yeah. Hey, why do we bother, like, phasering their weapon systems, the enemy ship, when we can just beam a universal translator onto their bridge to yeah. just well, prevent communication? Well, maybe you have to, like, do a virus thing. But, I mean, I guess it works for aliens, and you can't usually beam something onto someone else's ship when they have their shields up. Yeah, then we wouldn't be shooting photon torpedoes at one another. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, I've got a little more. You're, you're getting close to the end, and okay. you're doing very well, Kay. <laughs> Spanish? Yep, Spanish throughout. The Universal Translator's been invaded by a virus. It's translating everything into a different language, and he says, I have eyes and ears, Bernard. (laughs) (laughs) Now here, uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, these words were actually dubbed in the Spanish dub. Because Nico Martin-Green and Doug Jones, they're speaking... uh, uh, I think Sp- North American Mexi- Mexican yeah, Spanish, probably, yeah. North American Spanish. Yeah. I'm not able to distinguish it, but this was uh, for the European market that was translated to or performed in, in yeah. Castilian. Yeah. It doesn't sound. Yeah, it sounds like. Well, it's got the the different sort of mouth shapes, right? Yes, of uh, very, Castilian Spanish. That's a very good way to. Uh, Mumble Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very sorry for the people at home. This is not going to make any sense, but this reminded me of the Dutch comedy sketch of a fake Spanish language lesson oh, that you and I know very yes, well. Yes, we've mentioned this before, I think. Yes. <laughs> Sombreros, I say. <laughs> Sombreros. <laughs> it's terrible and wonderful at once. <laughs> Wow, That first one sounds like a like a made up language. Uh, fair. It's a very unfamiliar language. This uh-huh. is, uh, or to us at least, as yeah. European, this is Wolof. It's a West African language. Okay, yeah. But I do like, like, there's the word ordinateur. Yeah. Recognizable as ordinateur, the the French for computer. Yes. Like a loan word from uh, uh, yeah, yeah. the 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 French guests in. Historical yes. Africa. Mm. Mm. Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, let's not open that can of worms. <laughs> oh, speaking of French. Ah, crap, I gave it away. Defiance uh, <laughs> de something like. Oh, Le logiciel de traduction détecté, like there was a, a failure of the universal translator has been oh, detected. Yes. Or, as we can learn from the French dub... Failure of the translation software detected. <laughs> failure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> listening to Allo Allo, man. It's like... <laughs> Kay, you got so many points. I didn't keep count. Greg, how many points did he get? Going back through that, Kay got 10 correct. There were 15 possible. Kaki did unintentionally ruin the French one, so we lost point there, and Kay got four wrong. So still, 10 points out of 15. That is very good. Yay! Well done, Kay! But seriously, this Universal is credits. my favorite scene in all of Star Trek because it's, it's peril. It's Also, they could have done this in the original series. Yes. It takes no special effects. No, it's absolutely a bunch of not. Practice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's, it's just like what happens. Yeah, the translator is failing. Fortunately, engineering doesn't seem to be affected. 
We've run a full diagnostic, Captain, and this section remains unaffected by the virus. Uh, we'll update you if anything changes. Thank you, Ensign. Okay, okay, that's after he, uh, Saru has successfully, like, initiated the bridge backup. Translator, yeah, you're right. Actually, yes, don't no, literally say that. Like, okay, okay, I fixed it on the bridge, but it's still not working in the rest of the ship. Yes, you're right. Because, because uh, uh, he and her... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Go out to fix it, like, in the corridors Saru later. and, uh, and, and Burnham. Burnham. Yes. Um, Michael, that's the one. Yes. Yep. Sorry. My, you, you know what I'm like with names. Like, occasionally you have brain farts on names. And oh, it's, hey, uh, and the fact that we're switching series <laughs> every episode Doesn't is, help either, no. <laughs> I've got your back, buddy. He but is yes. not well. She no. wants to take him to sickbay, and he insists. I have placed all systems on... Automatic. And given our current circumstances, you will need a translator just to operate the turbo lift. Engineering has run a full diagnostic and they are ready to go. Nothing's ever quite so easy in a science fiction program. We see uh, the character Jet Reno by Tignotaro. Yeah. She's been introduced in a previous episode. You're um, Jet Reno from the Hiawatha. I hitched a ride off that asteroid. Chief engineer sent me to firewall off the critical propulsion systems. It was a surprise to all of us that she's still aboard the ship. Yes, but even to the chief engineer, who was like, Can I help you? Who are you? Like, there's little reminders. Who are you? Well, he doesn't even know who she is. You're um, Jet Reno from the Hiawatha. <laughs> yep. And she, uh, she stuck around. Hiawatha was a ship that they encountered in the first episode of this season, uh-huh. where she'd been keeping her crew alive with... So there's a pretty big distinction between her engineering expertise and Stamets. Yes. Because even though they're both in, in engineering, like, this isn't the warp drive, and he no. neither of them is the chief engineer. The chief engineer, amazingly, still does not have a name and has never been seen on screen. Right. Okay, so I was wondering about that, because now that I think of it, yeah, there is a little bit of a uh, distinction here, because this ship has uh, both a warp drive and the spore drive. Yes, the uh, displacement activated spore hub drive, or right. dash drive, which no one has ever said. Ah, okay. It's clearly, it was, it was written, and then... Ooh, before they started recording it, I don't actually... Yeah, none of us want don't to say Dash. It. Yeah, it's, it was a cool idea. Because I was think, like, thinking that several times during this episode. is like, mm-hmm. there's almost nobody in engineering, but of course this isn't main engineering. No, no. this is just a spore lab. Yes, exactly. Initially an experimental environment, but like there's probably a huge main engineering somewhere with a lot of crew that we don't get to see. Because Jet Reno is just here to detach the translator. Yeah. She is also not very impressed with the whole concept of the spore drive. You don't know me, Doc. I'm uninsultable, especially by a guy who thinks he can run a ship on mushrooms that I pick off my pizza. Spores are clean, renewable. Yeah, do they come with house dressing? It turns out you don't need a universal translator malfunction to fail to communicate with one another. Because they hate one another. Oh, yes. Instant uh, loathing. Oh, it's so fantastic. Because she's feeling (laughs) fervid as a flame. Does it have a name? Yes. Loathing. Loathing. Unadulterated loathing. (laughs) And they Waldorf and Statler through a discussion about, like, good old-fashioned warp dilithium coal rolling essentially which yes. she's a fan of and he's a fan of like nice clean uh, renewable, renewable uh, sustainable uh, next spore generation driving, spore yes. drives and I mean she wins but just because she keeps her cool and she does good comeback yeah, she says I'm unfazable uh. yep uninsultable <laughs> Tignotaro is such a... She's a really wonderful comedian as well in her own rights and I saw in the interview with Anthony Rapp that she plays this really cynical character 
on set, she just can't f***ing believe that she's on Star Trek. <laughs> nice. And he had the same thing, you know, as a, as a musical guy who grew up loving Star right, Trek and yeah, sci-fi in general. But he could guide her through this. And apparently, like, she has, I think she has two small children. Her and her wife have two kids. And, like, one of them is just old enough to understand that, oh, mommy's going to work on a spaceship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's just... Close enough, yeah. <laughs> For all intents and purposes. <laughs> I'm sure that she could fix that analogy with duct tape as well. I'm sure, yes. It's good to see that in the 23rd century, duct tape is still uh, around. And uh... Why would you stop using some of the most useful, like, what would you replace it with? I could fix that analogy with duct tape, too. And the situation goes from bad to worse, because there's a massive discharge of energy. Oh, no, everybody get down. Sparky, door slam shut. Engineering's locked off, or at least the spore lab is locked off, yes. Yeah. Bird on the bridge. The universal translator is back up and running, ship-wide on all systems. <coughs> and Saru is not well. No, and now it's really time to bring him to... Uh, yeah, he uh, gets hauled off to sickbay. In engineering, they do a little cool thing and they actually sort of work together because there's a massive, like, static charge with 100 giga electron volts. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, fine. That's not what electron volts are, but sure. Mm. That needs to be discharged because the door on the other side can function as a ground. But yeah. how do we do that? And Stamets suggests these spore canisters, I keep them filled with nice conductive argon mix. Yeah. So if we make a long pipe, we we've got a safe conductor from one side of the room to the other. We can, yeah, we can funnel it through that. Doesn't go quite as planned. Because when they pick themselves off the ground, the spore chamber is empty. empty. Yes, until he has been reinfected. Yes, this blob has grabbed her arm. Oh no, we're all being grabbed by blobs. First the Discovery and now our favorite yeah. ensign. Uh, and I wasn't saying I was struggling, but I was a little bit like, okay, no, these two are entirely unrelated. It's just that the A and the B plot have very strong similarities while not being connected at all. Yes. Yeah, for a moment, exactly. I had to, for a moment, I had to look, like, go back into, okay, wait, what was going on with the spore and everything? And then, yeah, I think, that, is this the same thing? Is this like another one of those uh, space mommy situations? But I had... Space mommy? Yeah, you know, when, like, one innocuous little thing shows up on the ship... Huh. Uh, in someone's quarters and then something massive shows up outside and there's like a standoff and it turns out that the little thing inside was the baby of the big thing outside. Oh. That's like a thing yes. that happens in various episodes. I think at least twice in Next Generation. It's not even counting the rest of... Space <laughs> Mommy. Yeah, that's yeah. a fair name for the trope. Yeah, the, the mama bear. Exactly. Actually, there are a lot of parallels because it is this unknown blobby entity that's taken threatening action. Which is 100,000 years old, the new, uh, initial scanner readings uh, tell them. Yeah, how do those scans work? Mm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Very well, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And we learn that they're trying to communicate, which I think is actually a really cunning narrative structure. As we learn more from one of the plots, we are primed to apply that same thinking to right. one of the other yeah. plots. As we feel more threatened by the May entity, we also feel more threatened by the Sphere. And once we realize that the Sphere just wants to communicate, we try that with... With the other one. With May I love, as well. by the way, how, what they did with Tilly's hair when she, like, sits up sideways and, like, her hair is, like, twice as big as normally. <laughs> her hair is amazing. <laughs> they must have, like, spent a lot of time in the makeup for that one. Oh, wow. I don't even know for sure. But I know that at one point she, she gets her hair blown out because that's yeah. something that Mary Wiseman just wanted. Yeah. I wonder if this is it. Look at it. She's literally, in, in, in one shot, she's got it, like, tight against yeah, her hair. Yeah, super bundled. And then, then there's the big explosion, and suddenly it's like, <laughs> foop. It's a great look for her. It I is. love Mary Wiseman's hair. Also a queer woman. 
Yeah, she said this thing, uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, but like that when she was uh, in a relationship with another woman, like she really didn't appreciate how often like bisexual women who happened to be dating or in relationships with men would dominate that conversation. So she's trying not to do that. So we've got three fantastic, amazing characters, fantastic actors and queer activists, and they're just a joy to watch. Yeah. We have to get to the bridge. No, 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 no. Right now we got to get you to sickbay. Saru gets hold of the sick bay, uh, where we learned Captain that Pike was already on his way. Yeah, somewhere and he, he helped Burham to bring uh, Saru to sick bay. Elevated heart rate, spiking adrenal levels, increased neural activity. The pain would render the average humanoid unconscious. Ocular discomfort. Uh, yep. Doctor Pollard asks because she can't identify the symptoms, and so she's asking him for help with her diagnosis. Or I think is it signs or symptoms? Sorry, symptoms. Okay, well, no. Like one of them is something that you can detect in the patient that tells you what's wrong with them. The other one is something that the patient themselves can detect, like pain. Oh. I don't think it's a symptom, but a sign. But okay. I don't know, a rash on your back or inflammation mm. of a ganglia or whatever mm. that you can't see. Mm. So a symptom is a manifestation of disease apparent to the patient himself, while a sign is a manifestation of disease that the physician perceives. You just got it backwards, cocky. But yes, Saru's being evasive. There's no reason to believe the sphere is benevolent. No, please. Commander, Dr. Pollard is trying to help you. And he admits that he has an idea of what's happening to him. Yeah. And that is the death process of his species. Vaharai. It is the event that signals when Kelpians are ready to be culled for slaughter by the Ba'u'ul. The predator species on my home world of Kaminar. Are they uh, sentient as well? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, and they're frankly terrifying uh, how they're being presented. Like they, yeah. they they appeared first in the short treks and like where Kelpians are pre-warp, pre-industrial. Yes. The Ba'ul they have pretty advanced, scarily advanced technology that that seems like magical and monstrous. They're like gods or yeah. or, or spirits. And um, apparent Kelpians are delicious. As we, uh, as we find out. Your world has food chains. Mine does not. Our species map is binary. We are either predator or prey. But in uh, season one, we know that the evil queen from the other Enterprise invites uh, Burnham <gasps> oh, to uh, yes. pick out which Kelpian we're going to have for dinner. And eating ganglia from a species right. that she's yeah. deeply friends with. Oh, Far, far worse than that scene from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> mm, chilled monkey brain. So his death is approaching, and yes. there's nothing that can be done, and there's nothing that they, as far as he knows, and Michael doesn't want to accept it, but there's really not an alternative that right. any of them have. And I'm sitting here like, hang on, he was sick way before this whole thing started, but apparently they are a little bit prescient in when it comes to when they're about to go dying. There's something it was mere there, minutes. There's, there's snow because they... Or, well, yes. No, I mean, no. He, he woke up that morning, yeah. and then at the morning briefing was... Then he was already, like, yeah. sitting down, and then hours, an undetermined amount of time later, the thing happens. Yeah, true. But he was already getting sick before. But there's actually a line in there a little bit later when they're... Yeah, they feel their death approaching, so I guess there must have been some sort of prescience there. We can see his threat ganglia emerge from the back of his head, yeah. and they're way bigger than usual. Yeah. This inflammation is a sign or a symptom, whichever one it was, of, of yeah. the Maharai. So those things seem to be, like, 
they extend whenever threat approaches, when right. danger approaches. Yeah. Because, I don't know, maybe it's low-level telepathy, he calls it empathy. Right, right. yeah. Prescience. No, prescience that's about knowing that something is going to happen before it's happening. Yeah. And this is much more of, like, feeling an intention. Okay, fair enough, yeah. The hairs on the back of your neck, yeah. that's... That is not known to be prescience. That is your no. subconscious integrating a lot of information and, fe- oh, we should be feeling threatened right now, actually. Right. Which he couldn't be doing. We Unless- don't know of the distances over which, like, yeah. that's how it, it, it's ultimately resolved. Yeah. That yeah. his sensitivity meant that this spheres, which we learn, is also dying and desperately wants someone to share its knowledge with. Yeah. That that message being broadcast over subspace, mental frequencies, whatever. Yeah, it can't do an inner light, but it is definitely trying to do a core dump. Uh, wow. Wow, that was... Okay, that was great. I'm going to have to invent some kind of, like, award that I can give you and that maybe sometimes earn myself whenever we get... Well, maybe we can have some suggestions for little prizes we can give each other. Oh, oh Wow. This episode is really good. I'm just really captivated by this story because it's it's absolutely breathtaking because this question, whether the sphere is dangerous or possibly benevolent, mm-hmm. which at this point Saru thinks no, is also mirrored by... Uh, Tilly uh, and uh, the... Uh, what's his name again? Yes. Yep. Because so, Tilly, she, she's a little bit trippy. It seems like the, the, yeah. the blob is like feeding her psychosibilin and yeah. like she ain't microdosing here. <laughs> yeah, she really is. So you're saying she's on a bad trip? Well, maybe it's just trying to calm her down so she won't be scared. Or so she won't fight back? Oh, we've got Burnham and Saru working in the computer lab yeah. to work on what they call digital antibodies for the computer virus, which, okay, that's cute. Nice, it's a yeah. Cute concept. It gives them just an excuse to be alone in a room because there's a little tension between them. Michael is wondering why why Saru never trusted her or never told her about this Vaharai. Yeah. And this is like a, a fantastic moment for Doug Jones to shine. I have learned multiple languages yet never shared my own. Fearful of revealing my own alienness. Apparently he was like the captain who pulled, took him on. Giorgio, who was also Burnham's captain. Oh, yes. And evil war queen in the other universe. Emperor. Yeah. Empress. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. yes that's oh, Emperor. Emperor. The, yep. uh, yes. But yes, he promised to her that he would uh, respect the prime directive or what, it, yes. what they call it here. General, uh, General Order 1. It's still known. Yes. Yeah. He's keeping that promise despite that he learns that they can do a lot for his species. Mm-hmm. Especially towards the end of this episode, we learn a bit more about that. This story for Saru and how, like, when he was being processed on Starbase 7 with other refugees, Mm. he has this beautiful speech that I just want to cut in here. Every story I heard created a space inside me to feel more, to love more. I joined Starfleet to help those in need the way I was helped. I see a little foreshadowing of that sphere. Yeah. Right? When you learn that much about that much many people, how can you help but love more and, and feel more? I once played a game of Star Trek Adventures, which is a tabletop role-playing game, yeah. with some friends from a group on the internet, played a couple of one-offs, where I played... Oh, I forget what the character was. It was a proto-Vulcan from... I think it was Mintaka 3, even. Yeah. The planetary name coined by Richard Manning, 
from Farscape fame. Yes. Okay, I know, I'm getting there, I'm yeah. getting there. Also, pre-warp civilization, and my character had entered Starfleet under the Saru scholarship that I'd made up. Ah, nice. Okay, there we go, okay. <laughs> Okay, how about you move us through this story? Well, let's just say, like, oh no, more flashes of ultraviolet light. I have to stop this conversation right now. Yeah, but no, it's fine, and I want to keep going. You, you go away. <laughs> There's a lot of people, like, entering and leaving rooms for There is, really like, it's a bit of a, par- lot of, a lot of parlor scene, like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I recently was chatting with someone, and he complained about how when I read the book Foundation, it was yes. just a series that of, like... Parlor scenes. No, it wasn't you. Oh, okay. Because I had this same conversation with someone else, except I wrote a K instead of an L, and it was just a series of parkour scenes, <laughs> and they couldn't understand what I was talking about. Oh, man. Yeah, but what does that have to do with sick did flips? You, yeah, yeah. Did you read another book than I did? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would have been a much, much more interesting book. Yeah. Meanwhile, Spock is still trying to get away in his shuttle, and this becomes a little bit of a... The most that we're oh, seeing yeah. about the Spock plot, because plot is, yeah, sorry, Spock is escaping. He's, yeah, he's zooming away in his shuttle and he is gaining distance. So the shuttle apparently doesn't have particularly high warp, but they've been, they've been stuck here for a while now. Spock is still at maximum warp, Captain. If we're stuck here much longer, we're going to lose him. We allocate power from the transporters to long-range sensors. I don't want to lose contact with the shuttle. Pike is starting to get like, okay, guys, we've tried the communicating. We're going to have to start trying the shooting because he's on actually two related missions he's on a mandate to investigate the seven signals related to the red angel creature yeah and a key component of that is spock but spock is wanted for murder Mm -hmm. and he wants to find and 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 michael as well want to find spock to find out what happened to him and protect him so there's this huge urgency that makes them not really want to deal with this sphere situation because yeah. it is Starfleet's highest priority now. Yeah, it's priority one, yep. as we know. Durham goes to engineering where there's a little bit more... What's wrong? The doors won't open and that thing reattached itself to Tilly. Can you detach it? And this is where those plots come together. Yeah. Because she tries to come into the room, the doors won't open, and they say that to each other. And she's... Oh, thanks for stopping by. by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she learns from them that, okay, why is it attacking uh, Tilly, this blob creature? We don't think it's attacking her. We're going to try and communicate with it. Yeah. And then Michael has the realization, that's what's that's been what going on. That's what the thing on. is going to, yes, doing It as wants well. to communicate with us, and we've not been letting it. And that's why we're in trouble. Because, yes, she thinks that the virus is being used to create a first contact. Not first contact, Burnham. Last contact. He feels it. Let's pull this apart because there's massive back and forths between the scenes on the bridge and the scenes in the, the spore lab. So right. let, let's pull these apart and like go through them one at a time because spore otherwise lab. it's going to be... Lab. Let's, right, stay, let's stay there because that gets interesting real quick. Yes. Basically, uh, they decide that something needs to be done. We can't communicate properly. We need to get a... Uh, Sensor enhancement, signal, signal booster in there, which means... What, you're talking about trepanation? Drilling a hole in her skull? Yeah. Are you going to fix her up with duct tape after? Maybe. And she which just stands there with, with what looks like a Makita, which has been a little bit uh, spaced <laughs> up. And, An actual drill that's unkind to Mario Marrera, the prop master, whose, whose props are really fantastic. But yeah, she says, this is what I've got. I hope you've got a laser scalpel somewhere in your engineering bay. No. No. All right. Get the med kit and we'll S- disinfect the uh, drill Sterilize bit. Sterilize the drill bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got to do something. But hey, this is a really interesting callback because in the, in the first episode of Discovery where Reno appears, we find her on a crashed spaceship where for the last months, she's kept a a whole bunch of critically injured crew members alive just by essentially applying her engineering knowledge to medicine. 
Okay. Just jury rigging a dead crew person's liver to to somebody else and like wow. trying to filter the yeah, it, they're basically components. Yeah, I can see what we can do. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, thank Christ you guys are here. I'm Commander Jet Reno, engineering. I'd shake your hand, but I'm up to my elbow and tellerite brains. Uh, kept a lot of people alive that way. So, yeah, it's not weird for her to, to grab her toolkit and perform an operation on Tilly. Which, unfortunately, apparently the medkit also doesn't contain painkillers. No. It's, an, it's an amplified cortical implant, which they're sticking in there. Nice. Uh, after, yeah, they drill this wee little hole and they just, like, bejazzle it with the uh, implant. They don't give her a strap for no. her head or whatever. No, or any kind which of... is, yeah, okay. Anyway, yeah. But they do... But Anthony, uh, no, Anthony Rapp has his little song. Come on. I know you want to move on because I sorry, asked you what? to, but Anthony Rapp, Stamets, asks her oh, right, yes. to sing her favorite song. Yes. And they sing. Though I've passed 100,000 miles, I'm feeling very still. And I think my spaceship knows which way to go. Tell my wife I love her very much. She knows. Space Oddity. Yes. By David Bowie. Because of the uh, continuing fascination that Star Trek has with 20th century culture. We can hardly license 22nd century (laughs) culture, can we? (laughs) That would be an interesting legal challenge. That would be a reverse licensing problem, but yes. uh, I really loved this selection and like the... Because there's the sense of powerlessness and also awe and the lovely lines... Tell my wife I love her very much. She knows. Yes. Uh, You wanted to talk to me? Here I am. Cortical implant successful. It takes a few moments, but then she starts speaking in tongues. Yeah. She she gets a bit of a Jamaican accent or like a Caribbean accent to her speech. Yes. I'm just looking up real quick. That's Bahia Watson, I think is how the actress's name is pronounced. Bahia Watson. Let me see where are you from. Why am I doing this? We have a chief engineer. Greg, where's the actress from? So Bahia Watson is from Manitoba, Canada. Her father is Canadian and her mother is from Guyana. Thanks. (laughs) (sighs) This is so so convenient. (laughs) I know. We can just keep going. Uh, Yes, because as planned, now May, or the, uh, the spore creature, is speaking through Tilly's mouth and accusing them of... Damaging her home. Yes. Which is, apparently, they live in the myosibilic uh, The mycelial field. network? Yes. Were you doing that on purpose? No. A little bit. <laughs> A little, okay, I can see your face. I was trying to, like, I, I realized that I didn't have it, so I had to come up with something. <laughs> and Stamets is heartbroken. Yeah. At the I idea. Like, oh, no. I didn't know that, like, I was, like, driving through people's garden or backyard or whatever it was he'd been doing. Yeah. And he immediately, like, strives to do better and that he, he, he wants to correct this damage that, uh, that he believes is caused. Well, I can only ask for your forgiveness. I knew better. I know better. I'll do whatever it takes to fix this. Which I believe is also an, uh, an, uh, 
season six of the next generation right episode yep. yes when, to, yes exactly when warp drives turn out to be causing subspace damage in in and some regions are really suffering from that yeah. in a sort of environmental crisis and speed, allegory they, you get a speed limit enforced yeah until which I is, was which realized is, it was boring well at, at, at later some point they actually make a reference to that and it's okay now nah, we fixed it no but, well we're not supposed to go yeah they do that as well they have got six episodes where yeah. they obey the speed limit and then they forget about it and then Voyager says oh yeah no we've got better engines now and yeah we tune, we, tune that, we tune that problem out of them yeah yeah we just got bored yeah we need to close the door to the network forever Reno who just like grabs a blowtorch and goes yep it tries to completely emblobify Tilly yes which that's it, a scientific term which it actually manages to do they cut the blob open and pull Tilly out yep the blob remains there and turns out to be a gateway into the my into the spore network what is it yeah. what is it it looks because like it's a tunnel into the spore network which we get Tilly's afraid and they say you're still f***ing high dude yeah. this paranormal is totally oh, normal they, both of them go completely off the, and they do that with beautiful uh, special effects where they mess with their faces and with their it's eyes it's Biggie Smalls yeah. they got the Biggie Smalls on, and he asks Stamets asks Reno to, to slap him really hard and she does so without a second's hesitation oh yeah absolutely. I want that I wanted to do that for hours She's just on, like she was on standby this whole time <laughs> why did I do that so he's cleared up so we can give them all an anti-drug shot. Yes, which I guess if you have a spore lab around, that's a very good thing to have. Uh-huh. Oh, and they what's can think straight again. Narcan or whatever? Oh, no, that's to, to help people with from, yeah, uh, overdosing. Yeah, uh, specifically opioids. It's basically an opioid blocker. Uh, Tilly has apparently once again been emblobified, and this time when they cut open the blob, she's just, gone. Oh. We just look into this creepy fungoid tunnel, which yeah. is, just goes into the mycelial network. Yep. The last time we see Tilly. Yep. Weird how they never resolved yeah. that plotline. Okay. Yeah, it's a shame. Back really. to the sphere. Keep talking and make it fast. What if the sphere was not attacking our universal translator, but attempting to teach us its language? Turn off the shields is basically what they advocate. To which Pike is understandably reluctant. Because um, it might be a trick. They might be trying to destroy us. And he also has these other priorities. Like, he, he listens to them, then he turns to, I think it's Detmer, and asks, like, how are we doing on our primary mission? How long do we have until we lose Spock? Okay, and then he turns back to them. you got to talk fast. You have limited time to convince me. And as they do, he makes this wonderful decision. He has this wonderful line. If this goes south, overload the warp core and eject it at the sphere on my command. Even at half the distance, the blast will decimate it. When it lets go... We divert all power to shields and try to ride the shockwave to a safe distance. But that's the backup. The primary is we're going to do what our science officers and first officers yeah. suggest. Because as he says... There's even half a chance you're correct. I'm bound by my oath and conscience not to let it vanish forever. Meanwhile, divert power from the transporters to long-range sensors. Why is there even still power going to the transporters? It's like... Medical emergencies, I guess. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Well, actually, those would have been handy to rescue... The people who were stuck in yeah, the core lab. Yeah, funny that. Mm. Okay. Mm. And they open up communications. They devote all their computer resources to comms. Library computers are working 20% above capacity. Yes. That's you, you're interesting. Gonna, you never heard of overclocking? Oh, I, I guess that would work, yes. I don't really see how they could... I mean, there's an interesting side thing where in later space shuttle missions, mm -hmm. uh, when they throttle up the main engines, they throttle them up to 104 or even 108%. Huh. Um, 
Again, same thing. It's like, how is that possible? No, it's simple. They upgraded the engines so that they produced more power. Oh. And it was easier to alter the programming to allow over 100% engine power than, than, to, re than to, re the to reset everything yeah. for what is now the new 100%. So... <laughs> I guess in this case, I mean, there's a difference between cruising speed, and I believe the term is full military power. Right. Because, yeah, their machines are capable of levels of performance. Right. Battle shorts in and... Uh, oh, gosh, yes, <laughs> that too. And an enormous amount of energy, information is dumped on them. The sphere is about to detonate. Because it's getting hotter and hotter. It's like 20,000 Kelvin on the inside now, and it's like... For a moment there, they seem to be suggesting that it's going to go turn into a sun or something like that. Oh, wow, Yeah. And so he gives the order to dump the warp core. It's not working. They're about to be destroyed. Not. And the sphere explodes. And they're fine. The sphere's stasis field reversed polarity a nanosecond before detonation. And pushed us clear. Yep. Its last act was to save them so they could tell its story. I'm, it's weird. I'm getting genuinely choked up about this big giant space ball. Because this is just such a beautiful story. It is. Uh, and I appreciate you acknowledging that, despite the fact that your fucking data circuits right. as a mandroid don't allow you to process <laughs> this kind of emotion. But let's see how well you do when... Uh oh, yes, because it's like at this point you go, you're fingling, okay, that was it, end of story, but like back on the quest for Spock. And but one of them is not going to make it. Because it turns out that Saru is not doing well. Like Now it is my turn. Take me to my quarters, please. Everyone stands to attention. Yep as their uh, senior officer leaves the bridge. Yeah. And we get a lovely scene in Saru's quarters, which are just gorgeous. Because he's made it into a garden. He's got, yes. like, literally a, a lawn bed that he lies on. There are these blossoms and lilies and reeds, and there's just there's just life everywhere, which is how he's apparently chosen to decorate his uh, Yes, apparently his when, he, when he escaped, when he got his... Uh when he went with Giorgio. Right, what I'm trying yeah. to think. When, uh, when he got his asylum, thank you. Asylum, uh, yes, That's good. the word I was looking for. He apparently had a pocket of seeds and that was it. And that's all he had from his home world. Pocket uh, of seeds and a knife. And that's uh, what he's been, uh, yeah, using to decorate his quarters, which is, yeah, it looks very lovely. He's like a, a bed of moss or something, or it might be kelp. Moss, you know? yes, that's right. Which he lies back on, shirtless showing off the amazing prosthetic anatomy that a uh, flower that signifies the change of seasons it's uh, a weird flower it is yeah this is bloom in between mm. seasons mm. Mm. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and he asks her a favor i need you to to sever my ganglia and to end my suffering I, I need your help so that i can die now Peacefully. It's a big ask, and she's it prepared is. to do it. Yeah. It's, I guess, a form of euthanasia? Yes. Yeah. It's not made explicit, but the expectation is that removing his ganglia will result in his death. Yes. Before uh, the natural course of death, which is horrifying. Do we have to do this? Is it truly inevitable? And she tries, but she can't. No, she... This is what makes Burnham such a, a fascinating character to watch and Sonika Martin-Green, an, an amazing actress. Mm. Like the, the emotion and nuance with which she infuses her performance is great. She can go over the edge because, yes, of course, like you can be fully prepared to help your friend end their life and then get right up to the edge. To actually have to, having to do it, yes. And the feeling gets more intense and more intense <laughs> and she's almost begging with him because there's nothing else that she can do. He reassures her and you see her like 
this must be the like her Vulcan upbringing. Just straighten up. Yeah. Okay. So apparently I'm just not going to feel anything right now. That's what my friend needs. He reminisces that he left his sister behind. Yes. And he implores her to fix her relationship with Spock. Promise me. You will mend your relationship with Spock. If you and I can build this type of bond, I'm certain you can do the same with him. Please. I promise. And she goes to cut off the ganglia but even before she as she, she herself says barely touches it which in fact if you look at, at the footage she doesn't touch it at all yeah i think it's like they're starting to fall out they, and she's like what yeah, and she's like shrivel sort of up and fall away pushes it aside maybe even and Next. he's astonished yeah she looks at him in shock quick cut to sick bay where the doctor is looking at him and like, well, how do you feel? Like, I'm feeling great. And I'm not, a, for the first time in my life, I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah. And this, Doug Jones has been amazing this whole episode. Now he's even scarier because he's sitting up. You can yeah. see how tall he is. His back is straight. Yes. And he's lost all of the timidity that he normally has. That must be so difficult to put that kind of thing into your performance for such a long time and then completely go another direction. Fear has always been the governing principle of my life. But now, it is gone. More than that, I feel power. My own power. That's even his face looks different. Yes. He holds his head up straight rather than like, usually has his head down a little bit in a servian. He's got a soup, stoop. Yep. Darting eye movements. Like, all of that subtlety is now replaced by the certainty, a very different tempo or frequency of movement. Yeah, and we learned that apparently the Kelpians have been either lied to mm-hmm. or they've basically internalized something bad, that this is their unshakable faith, like fate, not faith. Yes, exactly. Uh, but yes, it turns out that when the threat ganglia disappear, then we get, they don't die. They just get a very different kind of kelpian. And we've been preventing that natural process by pre- performing euthanasia in the belief that was kind. Or either or- falling uh, victim to the cull. Yes, exactly. And uh, yes, you can see a certain resolve settle into him. It's like Frel the first. Uh, yeah, do you remember uh, the, that general the, order the one? The prime directive, yeah. Yeah, but hang, hang on. <laughs> there must be some loopholes around it. Like... <laughs> That is... Can we, can we call it general suggestion one? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you're not Kirk. <laughs> and we have a last little scene with, with the captain saying, OK, I understand where you're coming from. I'll keep yes. this firewalled from Spock. The war between the quaternary star systems and the Roquari Imperium lasted a solar century... First he talks a little bit about the great discovery that they just had with the amount of data that they got from the alien. Oh, yes. Like, this is centuries of work for historians and the scientists... Because they got a hundred thousand years of everything that the creature has observed. Yeah. Which the computer is translating. Let me see. It says, The war between the quaternary star systems and the quarry imperium lasted a solar century. Wow. Yeah. This is maybe sort of like the relationship between the Silmarillion by by J.R.R. Tolkien and like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Where the Lord of the Rings trilogy... No, wait. No. No, his name is Jolkin Rolkin Rolkin Tolkien, as you know. Yes. 
where the entirety of the Lord of the Rings saga is condensed into a single line on a bottom left of yes. one page, and it was in that time that the ring, ring was destroyed by returning it to the fires of Mordor, and that's all that is mentioned in the entire... In the second edition of the Silmarillion, published in 2001, on page 303, for Frodo the Halfling, it is said, at the bidding of Mithrandir, took on himself the burden, and alone with the servant, passed through peril and darkness, and came at last in Sauron's despite even to Mount Doom, and there into the fire where it was wrought, he cast the great ring of power, and so, at last, it was unmade, and its evil consumed. And that's the essence of this theme. Like, these stories, they are so huge, you can summarize them in a little bit of information, but all of them represent lives, multiple lives. Yep. And the last bit of information that the alien saw was Spock's shuttle. Yep. So, despite losing him, they still have the trail. Commander Burnham is sending you the coordinates of Spock's shuttle. Plot a course and don't spare the horses. Aye, sir. You know, it's a horse rider. Oh, we see him on, back on on Montana. It seems like a, a captain thing, because like yeah, Aaron, right. Picard, and uh, and she's she says she's had a change of heart. I can't abandon him. No matter the mistakes that I've made, I need my brother to know that I will always be there for him. No matter what. Yeah, God, that's beautiful. Yeah, as a brother myself, I can uh, certainly relate to that. What an episode. I, yes, I we agree. still need, we it, still is, need yes. it is a fantastic episode. No, <sighs> absolutely. No, no questions about it. And for like again, for a lot of people like this showed oh Star Trek finally getting good again and returning to its roots. No, I love this because this this is everything that's great about the new era of Star Trek and the old eras of Star Trek being being brought together. It's really fantastic. We still don't have segments, do we? We don't have segments, no. Actually I did a little segment with the with the language. Okay, thing, yeah. Which which sort of counts. I don't But it's not a I really I don't, don't think know that's gonna, gonna be, be a recurring back. thing a thing. That's gonna be difficult to make recurring. Unless you want to learn Klingon. I mean we can ha- we can have a Klingon word of the week, but <laughs> Oh my god! Oh god! Hey! <laughs> Look what I've got in my bag! Oh, the Star Trek, the Klingon dictionary. <laughs> Very I nice. I put this in my bag when we first started recording. Oh, the official the guide to Klingon words and phrases by Mark Ockrand. And I forgot the- that I had it. Uh-huh, including new Give material. Give us a Klingon word of the day. Alright, we will get a <laughs> let's have a quick look. Introductionary. Oh, I've never actually seen this before, but it's great. So we have Lots oh, I bought this at the American Book Center in Amsterdam and like... Uh-huh. Uh, oh, so, I must have been 14 or something. So the first part is Klingon grammar. Like oh, that's verbs, tricky. They nouns, have unusual yes. uh, uh, right. word order. I'm just going to grab a random, a, yep, a random yep, yep, word yep, yep. of the page. Okay, the Klingon word of today is qua. Okay. To err, to be mistaken, or to make a mistake. Or it ah. can also be a, as a verb. That's a verb, and as, as a noun... It is an error or a mistake. How are we spelling that? Q-A-G-H. That would be kag. Kag. Okay. I think. And that yeah. is to err. To, or to, so to, to, an er- as a noun, it's an error or a mistake. And as a verb, it's to err, to be mistaken, or to make a mistake. So to kag is human and to, well, maybe next time we'll learn forgive. <laughs> <laughs> is Klingon? Well, not so much that part. <laughs> well, you know, you haven't seen Bluey until you've seen it in the original Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode with your friends Kay and Kaki. Production and editing by your chief engineer Greg and music by Fox Amour. Join us next time for the original series, Season 3, Episode 1, Spock's Brain. Visit joyoftrek.com slash links to send us your recommendations, support us on Patreon, or to find us at Blue Sky, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to The Joy of Trek, and we'll see you out there.